Morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. I'm going to ask Claire to um, read out of Ruth 4 for us this morning as we continue and complete our journey through the book of Ruth together. Good morning, everybody. It's my privilege to read God's Word today and to us from Ruth 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of that and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought, bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring of the Lord will give you by this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you the restorer of life and the nourisher of old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. 
Salman fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is God's word to us today. Thank you so much, Claire, for reading so beautifully to us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to work through this chapter, making sure we understand all the context that's happening. Um, and it is obviously the climax. It's the beautiful end to this beautiful romantic story. And we're going to see the gospel just saturate this chapter of Ruth for all of us. And we're going to read it. And if you're a Christ follower, you're going to, you're going to get glimpses saying, oh, that sounds like the gospel that we so love. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning and you're just checking out church, um, from wherever you are, welcome. But you're going to read the story, you're going to hear the story with us, and you're going to discover some moments. You're going, what an incredibly gracious God that these Christians serve. But hopefully by the end of this, this morning, you could place your faith in this Christ with us. So let's look at this chapter together. So it starts off with, and I want to highlight some of the, the language and this dialogue between Boaz and the, the friend, the, the no-name brand guy that he calls in front of the elders. Um, takes him in front of the elders of the city and he calls him to to talk, to make a deal or to bring to his attention Naomi and Ruth and their predicament that they need a redeemer, they need a kinsman redeemer. And he does this in front of the elders and in those days elders were your your town councillors, they were the authorities in the city for Israel. And so every every deal, every every um, legal um, deal that was made was made before the elders and they were the authority. But also ordinary people gathered around because of the eldership, etc. So people that needed help would come to the city gates and they would gather in their throes to, to have meetings, town councils. Um, the city gates in those days would be like um, in medieval Europe, like the the town square where the big announcements were made, where every, everyone gathered around. So Boaz calls um, him my friend. He doesn't even call him a name. Now, I'm not sure what's happening here. Um, they are related. Um, we don't know. Maybe they, uh, there's a bit of history in Boaz. But Boaz says to him, hey, my friend, come with me. He doesn't even name him by his name, which is quite significant because every other character in this chapter gets named. We know we know the sons of Elimelech. We know the. We even know the Moabite women that are married by the the Jewish sons. So there's some history here. We're not sure what's exactly happening. And then we move on to verse three. From verse three to four, we look at this, um, where he's explaining to um, to this no-name friend of his the predicament, like I said, that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in. And then he explains to them that she has property, and he gets quite excited. And Boaz says to him, but if you do not, if you do not redeem him, then I will redeem. But when, the, when this no-name friend hears about the land that Naomi owns, it's part of her inheritance, he doesn't hesitate. He says, I will redeem it. And when we hear, I will redeem it, we, we hold our breath because all of a sudden, it's not Boaz redeeming. Now we've got another person, another guy that's going to redeem Naomi and therefore Ruth will be part of of the package in, in, in some way. And so the story twists here. And it's, it feels like when you're reading this for the first time that, hey, the wrong guy is going to walk away with a girl here. The wrong guy is going to get Ruth. This is not Boaz. This is no-name friend walking around or walking away with Ruth and Naomi and the land. This is a significant twist in the story that you and I read. The greedy guy is so keen. His greed and his keenness for extending his wealth and his property. He says, I will redeem without even thinking, without even hesitation, without hearing the full package and the full story. He says, I will redeem Naomi and Naomi's land. But then Boaz does an incredible underselling, if you like. He, he, he puts to 
the no-name friend, he puts to me, he says, Ruth, but with Naomi you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead. I'm not so sure um, who wants to marry the widow of the dead in, in order to perpetuate the name of, his de- of, of the dead in his name, in, in your inheritance. So what Boaz is literally saying to our no-name friend here and relative, distant relative, is you're going to have to marry and take in this Moabite widow, widow of the dead, and you have to have kids with her, and then her kids will inherit, your inheritance will be part of the package. And immediately, without even a, a thought, it says here, the, the, the no-name friend challenges and says, I cannot redeem it. And he rejects the, the option of being the first kinsman redeemer. And this is, this, is, this is more than this relative could accept. He listens to this and he goes, and, we, and when, we, when we read this, we hear, did he, did he have enough funds? No, he had enough funds because he was a few minutes earlier happy to redeem, happy to say yes to this deal. Um, but he looked at the messiness of bringing a Moabite into his family, a Moabite um, widow of the dead into his family and what that would mean to his family, etc. And so he looks at the messiness that this is going to cause and what it could cause, maybe he had other kids that, that would be challenging to the inheritance. And he looks at this and he looks at Ruth and Naomi and he says, this is just too complicated. This is too, far too complicated. I'm not going to s- step into this. And remember, now we have to remember a few verses earlier, Boaz says to him, if you should not redeem Naomi and her land and Ruth, I will step into your place and do that. And then he draws a sandal. We read this in, in chapter 7, uh, in verse 7, we read, he draws the one sandal, he takes it off and then he gives it to, he throws it on the floor, he gives it to Boaz um, and he says, but if, but if, buy it yourself, he says to him with a sandal on the floor. And what happens here, let's just talk about the sandal. So in this culture, in those days, sandals was a sign of ownership, a sign of responsibility. And so should Naomi have gone to this no-name friend of ours and he rejected the, the obligation to redeem her land, herself and her family, what Naomi then would do is Naomi would then take off her sandal and she would literally spit in his face as an insult and throw the sandal on the floor and walk away. And this would be the most incredible insult to the kinsman redeemer for rejecting or or not following through on his responsibility to redeem this widow and her land. But yeah, what happens is the sandal becomes a sign of ownership. And so when the no-name friend of ours or relative of Naomi's rejects and says, I will not redeem, he takes off his sandal and as he hands it to Boaz, he's saying, you have the right now and the authority to redeem Naomi and her land and Ruth. And we see Boaz steps up to the plate. I am a man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero you're dreaming of. The moment we've all been waiting for. This is Boaz's moment. He steps up to the plate. This is the moment where girls in the movie wait for the, for the right guy to make a move. The frustration, the angst of, hey, she's going to walk away with the wrong guy here. No, she, the right guy makes a move. Boaz is clearly here motivated by love, not by greed. This is going to be messy. This is complicated for a Jew to marry and to take under his wing a Moabite widow of the death into his care. And we look at 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful chapter of love in the New Testament. And it's interesting if you look at it because what I've always loved about chapter 13 is that it's nestled right in the middle of chapter 
12 and 14, obviously, you would say to me. But what's spectacular about the nestling of chapter 13 is it's right amongst chapter 12, which is about the supernatural gifts that God gives us. And in verse 14, the incredible, skillful qualities that God's people have in serving the mission of God. And you have on the one hand the, the spiritual gifts and the natural gifts and skills that God gives people. And then in the middle of those two powerful chapters, chapter 13 sits. And you have to ask, why did God, or why did the author of 1 Corinthians, Paul, and God, led by the Holy Spirit, decide to, to, to nestle chapter 13 between those two? And the reasoning for that, for me, is very obvious in that nothing we do for God in duty is accepted before Him. We do things out of love. Our motive for, for, for even our spiritual gifts, if it's not driven by our love for the people that we serve, our skills, our duties that we, that we do, if, we don't, if it's not motivated by love, these things are meaningless in the eyes of God's economy, in the, in the way that God has designed for us to, to work. And so, even the best service before God, unless it's out of a heart of gratitude and a heart of love towards Him, all it really ends up being is religious duty. And Boaz shows us here that this is not just religious duty. He's not even the first in line. He's the second in line, kinsman. And, he's the, and it's going to be messy and tricky, but love conquers and love, love motivates him to take Naomi, this, this widow with nothing, remember, empty and bitter before God, under his wing. What an incredible picture of the gospel. And then we end the chapter with, from verse 13 right to the end with the genealogy of 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 Obed and Jesse and David, and then ends up with Jesus in the in the in the in the beautiful story of how Jesus has come through his bloodline. And we look at Naomi and we go, "This is us. This is you and I." It's interesting that most of the emphasis in the last section of this book is not on Ruth and Boaz and the romance and their their marriage and and the boy meets girl and fall in love and marry. No, the emphasis of this book ends on Naomi. Now let's remember that Naomi starts this book and starts. At the chapter one, at the end of chapter one, Naomi ends as a, a bitter and empty person before God and before people, asking people to call her Mara, call me bitter. But the chapter ends with Naomi nestling and cradling a little baby boy, full, a heart full, but also a heart filled with joy. Little did she know what God was doing in the background. Little did Naomi know the full circle of God's unseen hand over her life. Wow, she becomes the great granny of King David, the, the royal king of Israel, in the bloodline eventually of Jesus. Who could have imagined that's how Naomi's life would have ended? And it's interesting for us too, that when we go through hard times, it is very natural for us that our hearts turn bitter towards God, where we feel empty before God. And so I'd love to this morning end our time together by looking at just the gospel, the three um, gospel pointers for us in this chapter, specifically this chapter, and we're only going to focus on chapter 4 this morning. The first point I want to make is the missed opportunity, the, the radical missed opportunity for grace and for mercy. We can't look past the sense of regret and, and missed opportunity for, for what's his name, the friend in the story. And the church becomes uh, what's its name when it misses and it runs or rejects the call from God to show mercy and to show care towards a dying world or a lost world. It's interesting that the blessing on the, from the townspeople, it's interesting when you look at the backdrop, how the city and the townspeople gather around Ruth, and they are so quick to accept Ruth and accept her into the family. They celebrate, they pray over her. This is not a, a big stretch for them to show mercy and grace towards her. 
And the Old Testament reveals the nation of Israel constantly, um, corporately, significantly failing in their mission that God has called them to. Remember that in, in Genesis, when God called Abram, he said that you'd be a blessing to other nations. It was never, ever God's intention for the church or for Israel to be a blessing unto itself. We're not into serving and loving Christ because we're the beneficiaries. We do it because He benefits ultimately. He gets the glory, but we get to serve and love others because of, because of that. But if we look at the history of Israel, it's very clear and very obvious that through their history, they, they failed dismally at reaching and opening up their hearts to the Gentiles or to the, 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 the nations that did not belong to God at that stage. The clearest example for us most probably is, jo- is, is Jonah, the prophet who, when God sends him on a mission to, to, a, to a foreign city, a heathen pagan city, to, to go and share the gospel and to share God's word with him and to call them to repentance, what does Jonah do? He runs in the opposite direction. He runs away from God's call. And so and so, we as a church, even if, if we are to be honest about us as Christ followers, so often we run from the mission of God. We run from the call of God in our lives. We don't run towards it. We there's some stuff in us that prevents us from moving forward and showing grace and mercy to our friends that don't know Jesus. And the parallels with the church is uncomfortably close in this little segment, in the beginning of this chapter. Both in our willingness to fulfill the Great Commission, there's a reluctance. Can I, should I, what is fulfilling the Great Commission of God? How do I share the love of God and the gospel with my friends? And secondly, also in our rejection of people that don't quite live up to our religious standards of how we should look, how we talk, how we behave, etc. We've become quite, quite good as a church or as the church in, in, in keeping people that aren't quite like us at an arm's length. It's, it becomes messy, it becomes tricky, it becomes complicated with, with friends that don't know Jesus. And maybe you're watching this morning and you're saying, that's my experience of church. This, that's exactly how I feel about church and Christians. They keep you at arm's length. I must get cleaned up, I must sort my mess out before I can come near them or come near their buildings or near them as a community. I'd love to believe that everyday people is nothing like that. But if we had to be honest about where we're at, I'm sure there's glimpses of these in all our lives where we go, hey, we could be more gracious. We can invite some messiness into our lives for the sake of our friends that don't know Christ, even for our own benefit to show the grace and mercy of Christ in our lives. Spiritual pride is a nasty thing. It never leads to good things. It never leads to life and to generosity and to the abundant life that Christ calls us to. But thankfully for Ruth, Ruth does, does, does not have to face that problem. She comes across Boaz and Boaz comes with grace and mercy and open arms and with responsibility. And the second thing we look at the gospel is the heart of Christ to save. The heart of Boaz to say, hey, I know this is messy and this is going to be tricky, but I have a heart. My, my heart has been won by this woman. My heart has been won by, by the redeeming of Naomi and Ruth. Boaz is the only one who is willing to redeem Ruth. He's prepared to pick up that sandal and put down and say, I'm prepared to invite this, th- these two widows into my life, into my family, into my future. This is a planned grace. I love how you read the chapter. And Boaz almost sets his friend up, or the, the, the what's-his-name up. He, he tells him, hey, look at this fantastic offer that there is. And then as soon as he gets excited, I will redeem. He tells him about this widow of the dead, a Moabite, a pagan, and how this could complicate his future inheritance with his children. And before you know it, the friend, the what's-his-name, decides, I'm not touching this. I'm not going near it. And there's a bit of trickiness in there. There's a bit of skill and slyness in Boaz. And you can almost see Boaz set this guy up. 
He set him up for a failure. He set him up and he planned that he wanted to be the redeemer. He, he had his eyes set on Ruth and on Naomi and he has his eyes set and saying, I want to commit myself to this. It reminds you of Jesus. Scripture says that before the foundations of the earth was laid, Jesus knew that one day he would lay down his life for us and redeem us with salvation. And for, for his pleasure, for his good joy, for his good pleasure that he would do that for us. Grace is planned for. God's grace towards you is not just a knee-jerk reaction of what's happening around us. No, God plans redemption for us. The storyline is folded up and we can see or folded out here for us where Boaz has planned this and how God plans this. How the unseen hand of God plans for our redemption here. He is under no obligation to, to redeem Naomi and Ruth. Boaz could have walked away. The same for Jesus. Jesus had no obligation to redeem us. He did so joyfully before the Father. He, he joyfully gave up heaven for earth. He joyfully gave up the Son of God to become a Son of Man. And, and He joyfully gave up His life for you and I. Joyfully, willingly, out of love for you and I, Jesus did this. Why would He hold anything else back from us? See, but the heart of the idol-worshipping foreigner into His family, this is who Jesus accepts into us in you and I. He accepts you and I into this family. As Boaz was going to accept Ruth and, and Naomi into his family, he's accepting our worshippers into his family, knowing that there will be redemption and there will be salvation. This is every one of us. This is us before Jesus. We come as, as, as hearts that wander after other idols. We come as, as, as folk who worship other idols before God. And God slowly changes our hearts and our desires and allows us to fall in love with Him. And as we fall in love with Him, we walk away from these idols in our lives. And lastly, the third gospel pointer for us is the means to redeem us. He has the means. He has what it takes to redeem us. He has what it takes to save us. Look at, at Boaz here. Boaz has done everything necessary. He's obeyed the law. He, he didn't want to, but he went to the, the first in line kinsman redeemer. He went by the law, offered it to him, gave all the truth. And when it came down to are you going to redeem? He laid everything on the, on the line and paid the price. Paid the price for Naomi's land, for Naomi and Ruth, for them to be taken into his family, into, into his care. This reminds us of Jesus fulfilling the law, even as a human being, perfectly, without sin, without blemish, so that one day when he died on the cross, he could die on the cross perfect before us, pure before, before us. Paid every price it was paid. Boaz paid the price Jesus paid the price for you and I. Can you see the beautiful gospel in this story? See, Ruth and Naomi had nothing. Remember, they were empty. Remember, they were bitter. They come to God empty and like that. They, they were unable to save themselves. They could not redeem themselves. They needed a savior. They needed a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Boaz was that for them. Jesus is that for you and I. We come to Christ with nothing. We come empty. Our best works are like filthy rags before Him. We can't achieve. We can't earn. We can't earn our own redemption. Now we come like Ruth and Omi, in need of a Redeemer. And we come to a Redeemer with the means to redeem us, with an absolute grace and ability to set us free, to save us from, from our empty back, back, back background. It makes us want to sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote that. But I'm sure Naomi and Ruth, on that moment when everything was happening, would be singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. A wretch like me, saved by him. 
In Ephesians 1 verse 7 to 8, it reads this, In Him we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance to His riches of God. God's grace has been lavished upon us. Just as Boaz is lavishing His grace upon Naomi and upon Ruth, God is lavishing His grace upon, upon us as, as His children. See, you, friends, you and I, everyday people, you and I are Ruth and Naomi in this story. The very things that we thought we could build our lives upon, our lives, our security, our careers, our freedoms, our, the joy of our satisfactions that we found in sport, our, our financial stability, all these things eventually leave us very empty. Nothing, none of those totally satisfies us. We, we go to these worlds time and time again, but we leave with a sense of we just need a bit more. It's a, a, an 80s song where I just can't get enough. We just we always leave with I can't find any satisfaction in this in this life, and we we keep being thirsty until we come to Christ, until we drink of Christ and His mercy and His grace and His incredible love over us. And like Naomi, these times that we face, these hard times, can leave us bitter towards God, can leave us empty and bitter towards God. And my prayer is that that God would turn your bitterness to joy this morning. That when we look at the grace of God, when we, when, we, when, we, when we view the full grace and mercy of God over our lives through the gospel, that our, our bitterness towards loss turns into a joy as, as being found by Christ, by, as being redeemed by Christ. And in the story, there's a big but God, but God interviewed. His unseen hand of redemption is working in your life and in my life right now. Despite what's going on in this confused and crazy time in 2020, God is working. God's, God's mission to redeem His people has not stopped, will not stop until the day that Christ returns. He is working in your life too. Um, I love at Bible College we had a saying when it came to salvation. I was saved and busy being saved and will be saved just to get it right. There's an idea that even if you are a Christ follower, God is taking ground in your life as we speak and as we meet together. But maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you, you're watching just because you you're hoping to find some hope and some direction in this time. I said to you this morning, why don't you with me invite him to continue working in you? I want to dare to say that even if you're watching this, this video or this, this YouTube channel, there's a good chance that God is already working in you, that the hand of heaven has searched you and started working in your heart towards him. He has planned grace towards you. He has planned mercy towards you. He has planned your redemption. Let's pray together. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for this beautiful picture of your redemption for us. Lord, I pray that you would, this morning in our hearts, do a deep work where we are, where we, there is bitterness towards our lives or the disappointment of, of wells that do not satisfy our life. We, we ask you to, to fill our lives with your love, to fill our lives with your grace. Lord, we, we trust your hand over our lives. We, 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 we give our lives to your to your unseen hand, to your hands of providence, to your, to your hands of grace over us right now. Lord, I pray for us as a country that you would protect us, that you would show mercy to us, that you would you'd be with our leaders. I pray for us as a church that you would, you would strengthen our friendships and our relationships and our, our brothering and sistering of one another. I pray for our city, Lord, that we as a church would know how to respond in grace and mercy, that we would invite um, messiness into our lives, the discomfort, discomfortable or uncomfortable conversations. Father, that we would invite some of that and that we would reflect Christ's 
love and mercy to our city, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We'll see you over Easter weekend.